0: Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 19. We'll be discussing the Farscape episode, Nerve. I'm Kay, here with my co host, Taz. Hello! Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Nerve. After being stabbed by Larac, Erin begins deteriorating quickly as toxins build up in her body. The crew makes the dangerous decision to infiltrate a peacekeeper base to get a nerve graft that will save her life. Once inside, John's saved by Jelena and they find the graft that Aaron needs, only to be captured and tortured by a dangerous peacekeeper scientist named Scorpius.
1: Nerve is part one of two as we careen through the end of season one. And it picks up pretty much where a bug's life leaves off and the direct and the action is a direct result of Erin getting stabbed in a bug's life. So on the surface where we start is Erin has healed from her wound, but it turns out that she's coughing up blood because she has an injury, an internal injury that they weren't aware of. And it's probably her paraphal nerve that doesn't heal on its own. They need this graph, right, to, to cure her. But they don't have that on Moya because it requires a Sebastian genetic match. And then they have this gamut base that they know is there from when the commandos were there. And so that's their plan, <laughs> is to go save Aaron by running straight to the peacekeepers. And meanwhile, Aaron is not handling her impending death well at all.
0: Yeah, and it starts off on... The, the whole episode begins on this really neat note because we talked about how for a few episodes now the the team has been really gelling well and we've kind of figured out that even on episodes where they start bickering and they start acting really mean to each other that fundamentally this group of this group of random people are becoming a family and we saw that in we saw that in what was that what was the episode through the looking glass yeah so we saw that in through the looking glass it ends with them having this giant family meal and being joyful in each other's presence and here we get a chance to see something that actually is a little rough because Aaron's injury doesn't just require them to go looking for a solution for her, it actually requires them to really face their worst fear which is the peacekeepers because they're gonna have to infiltrate a peacekeeper base. I wanna play a little bit of dialogue from this conversation after John has figured out what Aaron needs and he's approaching the rest of them about it.
1: So what are we saying here? We do nothing? We let Aaron die?
0: Is everybody happy with that? No, John. I do not want Aaron to die. Nor do I. Well, you could have fooled me. What about you, Guido? How you feel about this? Look. What's the difference what we want? She's dying. We must face reality here. The only sensible course of action is... I'm sorry, Sparky. What are you saying? Is to do everything in our power to save Eren's life. Right. Even though it's likely to get us killed. So here you have even Rigel, who is incredibly selfish as a character, and he kind of starts off on this same note, the same note that we heard in Through the Looking Glass, where he was kind of like, Moya's our friend, but let's sell her for a faster ship. And here you hear him acknowledging that Aaron has become part of their family, and the only thing that they can do is risk their own lives to save her.
1: Yeah, and this conversation comes after everybody has listed out to John all the reasons this is a terrible idea. They don't want to go to the peacekeeper base, they are going to be caught, they have no way to infiltrate it, because John is the only one who looks Sebastian. so he's the only one who could actually go down, so he'd be essentially on his own. And so there's this real tension in the room about this, where they're really stuck between facing the peacekeepers who've been hunting them down, who they've been imprisoned by, and letting Aaron die which clearly none of them want to do and that's that's what they go with they go with saving Aaron and meanwhile Aaron's prepared to die she does not want anyone to talk to her she doesn't want to she is coming to terms with her own death in like the worst possible manner possible so how John finds out about her still having the internal damage is she doesn't show up for dinner so i'm going to play uh the quote where he finds out and You can listen for Aaron's attitude about this throughout this whole scene because it's really telling about who Aaron is right now.
0: Your comms on the blink. We called you three times for dinner. Not hungry. No?
1: Next time answer. It's kind of rude not to reply. Leave me alone. Yeah, sure. As soon as you tell me what the problem is. What is that? <laughs> Your ice cold. All right, knock off the completely healed crap and talk to me. Oh yeah, we'll talk to Zane. Closest thing we got to a doctor. No, don't summon the others. Just let me get to my prowler.
0: Your prowler? What? You gonna go for a drive? Last I heard, we weren't within prowler. No, you are not going to
1: die. So there we hear Aaron is training. She's trying to pretend that everything's okay. She's trying to force herself to be in perfect physical condition, even though she knows she's not. One of those pauses in the middle is where she's actually coughing up blood, and she wants John to go away. She doesn't want to talk to the others. She doesn't want to see them. She's isolating herself, and she just wants to get in her prowler and go die in the woods, basically. She mm-hmm. wants to just you know, be done with it and not bring them into any of this. It kind of goes back to her, her what she said in the past about peacekeepers, the strength that they have to show, how being alone and dying alone is part of what they're supposed to be able to do. I mean, we saw that in the Flax when she's like, you know, the peacekeepers, peacekeepers are meant to die alone. Back then she doesn't want to die alone. You know, that's something she confesses to John that she's she's scared. And I think you see that manifestation of that fear in this scene Especially because she just, she doesn't want to deal with it. And it's something that she's keeping close to herself because she can't deal with the others and their reactions to it either.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and more than that, it kind of, it kind of shows the difference of how the others see her and how she sees herself in relation to the others. It goes back to that quote from way back in um, Exodus from Genesis, when she's kind of talking to Pilate and she's like, why would the others help me? You know, Mm -hmm. my kind imprisoned them. They have, you know, I doubt they've forgotten. And so here it's kind of that same emotion. She just doesn't see it possible that the others would risk their lives to help her. And the others have kind of grown to this emotional place where even Rigel is admitting that the only option is to help her. And yeah, he kind of does that because John gives him like this dark (laughs) and dirty look of like, what are you going to say, Sparky? But at the same time, Rigel isn't one to hold his tongue. No, he's not. Do you know not. what I mean?
1: Yeah, he he's no he says
0: what he th- what he thinks about it. And if he, if he really felt that way, he would have said, "No, we should leave her." Yeah, and I mean, at this point, Aaron has saved Rigel's life personally a couple of times. Mm-hmm. She and Dargo have this incredible friendship. I still am like, show why can you not have two women on the show ever talk to each other? Because she and Zan pretty much have like no relationship, <laughs> but she and Pilot are very intimate. Um, yeah. They're very intimate friends, and then she and John, obviously, you know, sexy. Let's play some sexy music. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: yeah, but their relationship isn't just sexual, they've had these moments of friendship of of being there for each other that are not tied to them being, you know, interested and attracted to each other. Mm-hmm. They've had those moments.
0: Yeah, they've had moments like in the Fake Earth episode mm-hmm. where he he really does apologize to her, and they kind of have that that friendship, and then. They've had moments where it isn't just sexual. It's, yeah. it's them reaching out for each other. And especially in DNA man scientists.
1: Oh, yeah. That's actually a really good example because they're not yeah. even in that
0: space yet. That's kind of in that pre-interest space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think that theirs is, I mean, at this point, they're probably more like friends with benefits, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Especially after a human reaction where they have slept together. Mm-hmm. But maybe the fact that peacekeepers aren't really intended to have friends at all means that for Aaron, friendship itself is much more intimate.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the relationship, and as, we, as the show keeps growing with it, because there is such a grounding in them in their relationship as people in addition to the sexual component, you know? And that mm-hmm. gr- that grounding, I think, is what gives it such depth and
0: makes it such a powerful relationship. Yeah, that's a good point. So the others agree to help Aaron, and I just love her and Dargo in this episode. Oh, my God, yes. It shows the depth of their friendship. And the other day, I was thinking a lot about how their relationship began way back in Throne for a Loss or in, in the episodes around that time period where their entire relationship was built around them hating each other. <laughs> And now we've come to a place where to Dargo, the idea of just leaving Aaron to die is so impossible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just them hating each other, but also how much the contempt they hold for John. Mm-hmm. And yet here, John is the one they're relying on to help save Aaron by, because he's the one who's going on the mission. The depth of the relationship and having seen how it's grown over the whole season it really pays off right here. Yeah, that's for
0: certain. Aaron is kind of in this place of leave me my prowler. I'm going to go, gonna go <laughs> off into the woods and die. And John's immediate reaction is we need to break into a peacekeeper base. And yes. so he does that and we'll address his plotline in a minute. But I kind of want to stick with with Aaron because pretty much after this beginning part, she doesn't have a lot to do because she's dying mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, she's in and out of consciousness a lot. And so you have the return of <laughs> – you have the return Of Rigel, who is such a total grave robber. He will rob you blind before you're even dead. (laughs) So funny. And this isn't even like the first time he's done it either.
1: This is like the third or fourth time, right? I mean, he definitely did it with John in The Old Black Magic, but then he's also already talking about it in like the flax and maybe not the flax, but some of the other episodes where they're gone and missing and he's poking around their quarters looking for anything snurchable.
0: <laughs> I know, snurch is like the best word I love. We're
1: going to be using that from now on. <laughs> yeah. So Rigel Rigel's poking her through Aaron's quarters while she's lying asleep, resting, and what happens here is she catches him and Dargo comes by and says, Rigel, you're needed on command to make important decisions. And Rigel goes because he feels like that is a good use of his time is to make important decisions. And there's just this, this, this really nice moment where all Aaron says is, is thank you just for getting rid of Rigel. Mm-hmm. And Dargo acknowledges it. And it's, it's a very quiet moment and she, she wants to die alone. And that's what she tells him right here. And what Dargo gets out of it, though, is the, the next scene we have is with him and Zan talking about what they can do to help Erin and prolong her life for as long as possible. So the peripheral nerve that's damaged is like our liver, it filters toxins from her bloodstream. And so, without it, she's gonna have, um, or her ki- or kidneys, uh, liver or kidneys, or both. Anyway, sorry, mini-science nerd over here, moment. <laughs> um, anyway, so Dargo is the one who actually comes up with the idea of how to help Aaron and we're going to play the little clip right now.
0: Zan! Aaron is deteriorating fast. This is no way for someone to die, even a peacekeeper.
1: Argo, all I can do is ease her journey. The nerve that was damaged regulates toxin removal functions. The poisons that are building up in her body, they're killing
0: her. Can you filter them out?
1: I have no means to do that.
0: Then Moya does, doesn't she?
1: So it's Dargo's idea to basically hook Aaron up to Moya and use Moya's filtration system to then clean her blood and put it back in, kind of like a kidney dialysis unit. And what I I like about that is we've talked a lot about Dargo's plans and like, how do they measure up to cutting off your pinking f- finger for identification? <laughs> and this one's really good. This is like clever. It's thinking about as kind of a scientific problem and how to get around this, the fact that Aaron has no filtration. What other filtration can they do? And he's the one who comes up with it. And then he doesn't want Zan to tell Aaron that it was his idea. Yeah. Because he wants to respect her wish to die alone, but at the same time he doesn't want her to die at all and i just I just love that because it's it's such a change from where he was and in this quote, you also hear him say, like not even a peacekeeper should die this way and i'm I'm actually not sure he means that in terms of all peacekeepers. I think he's specifically saying Aaron should not die in this manner,
0: yeah, but I think maybe he is also saying that not even a peacekeeper should die in this manner because I think that he's come from a place of all peacekeepers need to die, full stop, to all peacekeepers need to die, except maybe I do care if Aaron is dying, (laughs) full stop, to this place now where he does see the humanity in peacekeepers, where he's not in a place anymore of, you know, death to all peacekeepers. (laughs) I think he's just had, he's had over a year at this point. Let's guess that it's been at least a year. Yeah, that sounds rough. It's been at least a year from when he was imprisoned. And he's now coming to a place of healing, I think. Mm -hmm. Him being able to say, even a peacekeeper shouldn't die alone is such huge growth for him. And yeah, he does, he is actually very specifically talking about Aaron. He's saying, Aaron should not be dying alone. Yeah, like Like, this person I care about should not be dying alone. But I think that he would have, I think that if he had specifically meant Aaron, he would have just said, Aaron shouldn't have to die alone. Okay. Yeah. But also I love the idea of comparing this plan to his plan to cut off a <laughs> pinky finger. Because <laughs> yeah, it's so true. But it's also okay, Dargo lies a lot in this episode. He lies like a rug in this episode. <laughs> Because, okay, first of all, when he comes in, the way he gets Rigel out of the room is he lies to him. He's like, we need you up in command to make any decisions. (laughs) And I'm like, number one, no one would ever go off of any decision that Rigel would make, period. (laughs) And number two, he's clearly doing it because it's the easiest way to get Rigel out of the room, Mm -hmm. you know, is to kind of feed him something else that's better than stealing from Aaron. And then again, when he's when he and Zan set up the filtration system, and Aaron kind of wakes up, and and Zan is like, "Oh yeah," and she's about to say like Dargo thought of it, but then she's like, Dargo gives her like this look, and she's like, "Pilot thought of it," you know, and it's and it kind of does have Dargo lying a lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then at the end of the episode, this is like a little bit of a spoiler, but I'm assuming that everybody's seen the episode. When Aaron wakes up, and she's like, "Oh, I want to see Crichton," and Dargo's like, "You will soon," and it's like a lie, yeah. and. We discussed in the past how Dargo is very straightforward. He doesn't like to lie. He is bad at it. Mm-hmm. And here it kind of shows how much his like how strong his feelings for Aaron are that he is able to lie for her essentially.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because what was it uh, the Zelbinian episode? Uh, PK Tech Girl when he is like, I'm not going to lie to an enemy because mm-hmm. that's dishonorable. And here you don't get the sense that his honor is involved at all. It's just caring for a friend. And in order to make it easier for Aaron to accept the help or be reassured while she's in a very difficult condition. Mm-hmm. And you really see that at the very last scene between Aaron and Dargo of this episode where she's gotten the treatment and he has just lied to her and said, you will see Crichton again. When he doesn't know if that's true or not, but he's saying it as a fact. And then everyone else leaves and Aaron is recuperating and Dargo is actually the one who comes and sits with her and holds her hand while she is recovering. And it's just such a touching moment because she lets him, you know, she doesn't push him away. She says, thank you. And there's just this moment of a real connection between the two of them. And one of the other things he says, actually, just before that is when she asks, you know, am I dying today? It goes back to what Throne for Loss, where he's mm-hmm. like, as you said to me once... You will die, but it not, will not be today. And I just love that little callback because that was when she was saving his life from um, his wound and she had to make his blood run clear by, by beating on his back to stimulate the blood flow. And so there's this nice bookend to where how far they've come and how their friendship has really grown into something really solid.
0: Well, another interesting thing that I like about that callback is that when you have friendships with somebody, a lot of times there's like a couple defining moments in your friendship and usually it's fairly early on. So, for example, when I first met you, one of the defining moments in our friendship is that the first time we met, we literally talked for like eight hours or something. (laughs) We talked for a ridiculous amount of time, um, mostly about Farscape.
1: In an empty Indian restaurant. Yeah, it was mostly about Farscape. We were into Supernatural at the time too, but...
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, so we had a fan conversation for eight hours. We literally shut down a restaurant, okay? <laughs> they had to kick us out. Yeah. Um, and I think that for for Aaron and Dargo, their defining moment were these early events where they saved each other's life, where they called each other out. And so him kind of calling back to that is kind of him recasting this moment where they were fairly antagonistic to each other, but him being able to to look back and look at it as a moment of friendship.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, when she saved his life, despite them being bickering and, you know, not solidly friends, not at each other's throats, but definitely not friends yet.
0: Yeah, they were definitely not friends. But, like, he's able to kind of look back with nostalgia almost to that moment of this is when we became friends, is when you, you know, beat my back and (laughs) saved my life.
1: Yeah. I like the idea that that's where they they really they really did become, where it shifted into two friends, the beginnings of the friendship.
0: So that's pretty much Erin's arc for the episode, is she goes from being super weak and not trusting anybody to this point where she is saved, and Dargo's the one that does it, and it's, it is like an emotional payoff that mm-hmm. we've been waiting 19 episodes for, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so meanwhile, while all this is going on, John has gone to the planet, and he goes with Chiana. And he actually is not sure he wants to take Chiana at first. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play the little confrontation because I want to talk about Chi for a second when she asks to go with him.
0: Yeah, you going somewhere? With you? Think again.
1: I'll think out loud. What you need on this jaunt is a talented burglar and distraction course. You volunteering? What's the angle? I want to earn my keep aboard this boat.
0: You? No, I don't think so.
1: At least take this. Peacekeeper ident chip. Maximum security clearance. This is Lorax. How'd you get this? Told you I was talented. Alright, fine could use the help. If you're going to help. So we're coming out of a bug's life where Chiana was really the one who caused the entire problem with the sentient virus, right? Because she's the one who made the key that opened up the crate. I mean, Rigel was going to poke around and probably push buttons, but he might not have gotten in on his own. Chiana's the one who got in and caused... A lot of death and destruction indirectly because of that. And John is so suspicious of her motives here. He has learned to be suspicious of people's motives out in the uncharted territory. So he doesn't believe her when she says that she wants to earn her keep aboard aboard the ship. And I was just kind of wondering what you thought in terms of what do you think her motivations are if they are not what she says they are?
0: I think that there's a couple things. I think Chiana, number one, realizes that being on Moya isn't necessarily going to be the safest thing at this point. Because Moya has no defensive weaponry. She has no weaponry, period. And Moya can't starburst right now. So I think that Chiana is smart enough to realize that if she's going to get off Moya, if she's going to survive this entire episode, it is not going to be if she stays on Moya, number one. And then there is an argument to be made that maybe she does feel bad for what she did. Yeah. Because in the last she did cause a lot of things to happen in the last episode and no one really has called her on it. In fact, I think most people kind of blamed Rigel for it. <laughs> but I think that there is there is something to be said for Chiana's character growth. Mm-hmm. When you look at this plan, the plan is John goes down to the base, bluffs a little bit, gets the thing he needs, leaves. And I'm kind of like without Chiana, that is not a plan. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That is, that is him about to be murdered and dissected. <laughs> and so I think that maybe that's what she also sees, because I think that Chiana is smart enough to know that if John goes down and gets caught, they're going to be like, he came in on a prowler, which is a short range craft. Where did he come from? Yeah. And then they will find Moya. So I think that maybe there is something to be said there for her looking out for her own best interests, even though it feels selfless yeah if that makes sense,
1: well a lot of altruism is actually you know altruism in service of the group is ultimately selfish in a certain if from a certain point of view and that's kind of my take on it too my take was on it was more like you know she says I'm a good burglar and you're going to need a distraction she knows these types of situations she is one of her skills is to constantly get herself into situations where she can case things or talk her way through to be kind of like I don't know, the spy, but the, the thief. The thief is probably the better way to, or the con man, to, to, to be the con man. And she knows he is unequipped for it after seeing, you know, how he did with the, the, the commandos in the last episode. So I can definitely see her, her having that, I don't know, professional pride kind of thing going in. And I think, yeah, what you said before too is like knowing, she's done this enough that she knows the big picture of what comes next. Like he hasn't thought this, mm-hmm. he has not thought this through. She has done this so many times that she knows exactly where all the problems are going to be. And we see that as the, the plot carries on too, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that John was going to break on to this, you know, top secret military base without even an ident card. Right. He was literally just going to try and bluff himself. And we see very quickly that even with all of Chiana's help, he would have gotten caught very quickly. Oh, yeah. So they come down to the planet, and the first thing that happens is they're kind of questioning him. And it's actually a really neat scene because they're kind of questioning him, and he's bluffing, and he's like, don't even bother asking what my assignment is. <laughs> and the commander's like, well, I wouldn't dream of it, but I still need to see your ident card.
1: Which is completely legitimate. I mean, you look at any kind of like businesses in, in the in the US right now like almost every employee has an identification card of some sort just to keep people who aren't supposed to be there out.
0: Yeah, exactly. And especially if you're like a top secret military base. Oh yeah. I'm thinking of like that scene from Independence Day <laughs> where like Will Smith comes on and they're like we can't let you on. They they're like you don't even have clearance or an identica- you know, or an identification card or anything. <laughs> and then he like shows them the alien and it's kind of like this it's that kind of moment of like you're not even going to get past the gates. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, and he almost does it because they ask for his identification right as soon as he lands.
0: And then Chiana shows up and she is. She is the kind of um you know, in leverage how they always talk about how you need to have something that's distracting the mark because otherwise the mark will be paying attention. And Chiana is that thing. Like literally yes. she comes out and she's like femme fatale straight out of a <laughs> 1950s movie, taking off her jacket and giving it to the commander. And the commander takes it because she is the shiny, bright object that yes. he is supposed to be looking at.
1: Yeah, she, she's the... This time, not the sex slave, but definitely the escort who is along with the big, bad peacekeeper commando. And so they end up early on in the lounge because they are welcomed and, you know, interacting with the base commanders. And that's what Chiana does. She flirts. She distracts the the male officers who are interested in her. The the base commander keeps asking Crichton questions about Chiana and, hey, how much do you want for her? How much did you pay for her? Can I get a night with her? Kind of thing. And... So while all that's going on, and John is kind of not with it yet. Like Tiana actually has to spell it out for him in a little conversation. Like, <laughs> this is why I am here because otherwise you're not gonna be able to get away. And the tension in the room is, it's not so bad here, but the next checkpoint they go to, it just amps it up because now he don't, not only has to have an identification card his his ident chip, he also has to pass a genetic test you know, Mm -hmm. the DNA sample from his hand and he tries bluffing and he tries, I don't know, everything he can think of to talk his way out of it. And the peacekeepers are giving him funny looks. And you know, if he keeps talking, it's going to look really suspicious. I was like, I was watching that and like, John, shut up. You just have to do it. And yet at the same time cringing because I was like, I know this ends well, but I can't remember how it ends well. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He does get through it. And that's when we meet Jelena. Jelena, who comes to his rescue by being a tech wizard throughout the rest of the episode.
0: I know. I love Talina. Yeah. But So going back to that kind of bluffing moment, even Chiana gets in on it because it's not, yeah, you're cringing because you know that they're acting more suspicious because he will not do this thing. That's very simple. Yeah. But at the same time, he can't because as soon as they do a genetic test, they know he is not Larak, who he's pretending to be. He is not Sabatian. And also, I want to go back. I want to talk about Jelena, but I want to go back to the tavern scene again for one moment. Sure. Because Chiana's kind of working the room. She's got both the commander and his second on a string. And they are definitely being led around by their, what's that word? Mivonks. Mivonks. They are being led (laughs) around by their Mivonks. And it actually gets to the point where the commander's like, hey, so how about we go back to my quarters and discuss you coming to work for me? And she's like, my policy is no free sample. <laughs> but like, which is, oh, I love you, Chiana, my favorite. But so the party's broken up because all of a sudden we have this,
1: oh, it's so good. This is I one of the I... best entrances. He doesn't even say anything. And it's
0: awesome. So Scorpius shows up, and he is dressed in all black, and he looks really... He's a, such a good character design for an alien, and he just stands in the entrance. And this big party that had been going on immediately dies. Dead silence, music goes out, everyone stops talking,
1: everyone looks at him, and all he does is give the base commander a look and a little bit of a head
0: nod. And then the base commander scurries after him. It's yes. so good. It is just... good. okay... Ugh. Ah, He's standing there. It's like so good. (laughs) It's the best entrance because I think Farscape understands the Jaws premise, which is that you are more afraid of someone when you have less information about them. And so this is like, that is the theory behind Scorpius and it works so well. We don't even have to know anything about him to know that he is scary and he is the most dangerous person on that base. Yes. And then the other funny thing about Scorpius, though, is I'm literally like, oh, my God, Scorpius, <laughs> you are such a drama queen. Because he's just standing there posing in his leathers. And I'm like, oh, God, Scorpius, you're such a drama queen. I love you. <laughs> oh, man. OK, so getting back, Jelena saves them.
1: We have the ominous threat of Scorpius. We don't know anything about him. He doesn't say anything, and meanwhile, John is still focused on the mission, and then he goes to this other checkpoint, and Jelena's the one who bypasses the tech to let him pass the genetic test. So he has a man on the inside now, and Jelena is still head over heels in love with
0: John Crichton. You know, it is kind of awkward because Jelena is kind of still in that place of, like, we are OTP, I love you, and but this is an episode where... John has essentially declared his feelings for Aaron because he's like I'm gonna break into a secret peacekeeper military base for her yeah and I don't know how much more you say you're in love with someone than <laughs> deciding to do something suicidal for right
1: them. and convincing all your friends to let you also I mean not that they needed a whole lot of convincing but but yeah and also the first thing he says to Jelena or one of the first things is hey we are here to help Aaron because she is
0: dying and that's that's where he starts with Jelena. So what happens is Jelena tells him that, oh, hey, we don't even need a real sample. I can just go synthesize one. And she uses her tech magic to make up a fake work order. So essentially what ends up happening is the A plot theoretically should end right there because she almost immediately comes back like less than 30 seconds later. She comes in in showtime, in you know, in the, in the actual episode, she comes back like 30 seconds later, but I'm sure in the, in the, in the timeline, it's actually an hour or two later with the sample. And she's like, Oh, here it is. And then he's like, okay, great. Now we're going to leave. And they have this moment that if it had occurred in PK tech girl, it would have been really flirty and really painful and really awkward. But we as an audience are just like, no, you have to get the nerve to Aaron because she's dying. Get it, get it, get it to Aaron. And, I don't know, I, I really want to play it because it's so sad. You don't have to thank me.
1: I better get back to the ship. If I'm late, Aaron dies. And I wouldn't even dream of stopping you. We always seem to be saying goodbye. Yeah. I think we'll get better at it. Go. Part of what you don't get on the audio is Jelena puts her hand on his face. She wants to kiss him. He kind of pulls back a little bit, and this is all this sexual tension between them that's really heartbreaking because you can tell John is not into Jelena anymore the way that she is into him. And so it's this unrequited love happening, and he knows it, which is even worse because he knows how she feels and he doesn't want to lie to her and he doesn't want to lead her on. But at the same time, she's helping him because she's in love with him.
0: Yeah, which is, uh. It's so tragic. It's super tragic and it's... And okay, in PK Tech Girl, I talked about the fact that Jelena is a character that is designed for John. There's no other character on the ship that she could have a relationship with. There's no other character on the show she could have a relationship. She is a character that has been designed for John. And now we're running into this situation where her puzzle piece doesn't fit anymore with his. Yeah.
1: Yeah. and And he has grown through his own adventures, through living on Moya, through working with Aaron grown to appreciate Aaron and his crewmates and gone beyond where he was when he met Jelena, where he was homesick, where he was all about trying to find that, that perfect clicking, which that, that chemistry is still there, but it's, he has moved beyond it very yeah. clearly. But that's where he is. He's, he's gone beyond that simple attraction and that fairy tale that they told themselves when they said goodbye. That on PK Tech Girl, where he's like, hey, I just want to take you to a dinner. Have that little simple, whatever the equivalent of white picket fences is when you're mm-hmm. a PK Tech and a human out in the middle of a space. But that that fantasy, es- essentially, mm-hmm. he's now appreciating what he has in reality with Aaron.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they do still have crazy chemistry. Oh, yeah. As soon as they get back together, there's like this crazy chemistry. But it's it is true that he's not, he's become less of the tech guy that she kind of fell in love with and more of the action hero that he becomes for Aaron, if that makes sense. Yeah. So he has the the nerve now and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go get Chiana and we're going to get out of here. And then that's the end of the episode, Taz. Nothing else happens. Nope. And we're only at, what, 30 minutes in? (laughs) (laughs) So he's walking down the hall and then all of a sudden,
1: the soldiers around him stop him. And you hear kind of off screen or Scorpius coming onto screen, sees him like no explanation, no checkpoint, no nothing. It's just Scorpius knows. And I think that's one of the scariest things about Scorpius is he doesn't have to go through any silly genetic tests. Mm-hmm. He just knows immediately that John is not who he says he is. And he's going to find out why. And then we begin the real plot of the episode or the back half plot of it with with John and Scorpius and the Aurora Chair and
0: hello, Torture City. (laughs) Right. This is kind of when Farscape goes from being a show that could be episodic to being a show that is like a 98-hour movie. (laughs) Yeah,
1: pretty much. This, This is where the plot of the entire four seasons really hits the ground. So I'm going to play the first t- instance of John and Scor- or John being in the Aurora chair, which is Scorpius's torture device and memory extraction device. And we get basically our first real introduction to Scorpius and who he is and what kind of character and villain he is going to be.
0: I'm Scorpius. But of course you are. Peacekeeper. Funny you don't look like a Sebastian. On the other hand, you do look Sebastian. Yet, your energy signature is quite dissimilar. What species are you? And who are you working for? Get stuffed. You attempt to provoke me. Perhaps
1: you're hoping I will lose
0: my composure and kill you...
1: ...before I have extracted any information.
0: long ago learned the advantages of patience."
1: Yeah, Scorpius so scary. The patience, that's the part that always gets me what has made Scorpius one of my favorite TV villains of like all time is he is completely in control of himself. He is in control of his emotions, he is in control of the situation, he knows exactly what he wants. He has a couple questions that he wants to have answered. He will stop at nothing to get them answered, and he will take as long as it takes to do mm-hmm. it. And that's just that's the patience part. Smart and patient.
0: All okay, right. So then, there's a couple things that I really love about Scorpius is because, first of all, I mean I love a lot of things. About Scorpius, <laughs> don't get me wrong, <laughs> but so John points out, Scorpius doesn't look sedation. And we've learned from Aaron and from Jelena and from the the commandos that being different in peacekeepers is not really tolerated. That you are perfect all the time. Like Aaron treats any sort of weakness as the possibility of death. Like, for example, when she tells John that if you don't pass your flight training test, it kills you. Or when she goes to pilot she's like, my hand is shaking, I'm not fit to live. So the fact that Scorpius does look look different uh, and apparently is accepted for those differences makes him all the more frightening. And also, we're coming off of Crace as a villain. And Crace is fundamentally defined so far by his lack of patience, by his lack of logic, by being relentless. And Scorpius is the opposite of all of those traits. Scorpius is controlled, Scorpius is patient, and Scorpius knows what he wants. Whereas Crace, I don't think he really does know what he wants. He wants John dead, and then what? Yeah,
1: for all of of the Peacekeeper, you know, the values placed on strength and being strong and in control and everything, Crace is, he's falling apart. Like, he is not... He's papering over all these cracks that he has in his in his ideal peacekeeper character. And his raw emotion is what he is. He still has this all this anger and fury over his brother's death. Over High Command telling him he can't follow Crichton into the Uncharted territories. And he hasn't thought what happens next. Like He doesn't know. He might not even care. All he wants to do is have vengeance for Tavo's death. And Scorpius calls Kreis' command carrier back here. Because he sees in the Aurora chair, so the Aurora chair, in case you haven't seen the episode, basically extracts memories from the victim. In this case, John. So those, those loud noises we heard in the clip were when John's brain was actually being invaded and attacked, and memories were being extracted as they map his neural, his neurons. And so he sees on the scorpious sees on the screen Crace and one of the base commander identifies them. They call him in, and the contrast you get between Crace. And Scorpius, when they're talking to each other, is also very pronounced. You have, physically, you have Kreis' hair is flying away. He's very disheveled. He wants to to go hit Crichton and be physically abusive towards him. Whereas Scorpius is torturing him, no doubt about it. But he's also doing it for a purpose. Mm -hmm. It's not random violence. It's all very directed.
0: Yeah, because I mean, even the way he talks about it, he's like, we're going to segment his mind. We're going to take it apart until we find it. We're going to press through the boundaries. Whereas Kreese is kind of in a place of like, I'm going to hit John until he's dead. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the place he's coming from. And Scorpius calls Bilar back mostly to have a bluff, which is that Scorpius has discovered that in human reaction, the the fake dad gave John wormhole knowledge. And he did it in a way where he gave it to John, but he was like... You're not ready for this. I can't just give it to you. So I'm going to put it in your mind subconsciously. And so John realizes that eventually he will be able to make a wormhole. Mm -hmm. But John doesn't even
1: know that he has this information. That's important to point out.
0: Yeah, exactly. John doesn't know he has this information. And as soon as Scorpius sees it, Scorpius is after it, because it turns out that Scorpius isn't here just to torture people, although that is apparently a main part of his job description. I mean, think of Scorpius. Scorpius isn't even like the CIA. Scorpius is like the NSA, maybe. Yeah. It's like completely unknown, acting under the radar, can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Carte Blanche. And so he's going after the wormhole knowledge, because that's part of the reason he's on the base, is to study wormholes. And Bilar comes in and he's like, oh, we captured Moya. And so now you don't have any reason to fight us because the only reason we're keeping your friends alive is if you give us everything we want. And John is like, so everybody is okay? And he's like, (laughs) including Aaron and Bilar, God bless him, doesn't pick up on the cue there, which is that Aaron Aaron isn't all right. Right. And he goes, yeah, everybody's fine. But they won't be unless you stop resisting. Which clues John in that they do not have
1: Moya. He's on his own. There's still a chance that they can save Aaron and that he can get rescued. There, There is a reason for him to continue resisting. Because this, at this stage, the memory extraction from the Aurora chair is very early. It's still figuring out how to get memories out of his head. The program is still learning how to how to get all the information. But it's it's getting worse and worse and you can see on John's face his eyes are getting red, he's crying, he's yelling, he's screaming, he's in such pain. And this is the first time he's been through something so dehumanizing and so violating and so painful that it's a complete shock to his system. And it's it's kinda hard to watch, honestly.
0: Oh yeah, no, it's incredibly hard to watch because he's being tortured and You know, God bless Ben Browder. (laughs) He is a good actor here. But so there's also another reason that John is kind of so terrified. And it's because after they've pulled enough memories out of him that Scorpius sees that there is wormhole knowledge, Scorpius is like, okay, let's just do it. Let's just continue cutting until we find it. And his aide actually says, you know, his brain is breaking down. We need to give him a rest if we want to actually get the information. So Scorpius is like, okay, fine, two hour rest while we wait for Bylar to show up. And so they throw him in a cell and he meets somebody else who has been in the chair. And I want to play that <laughs> clip because uh, if you watched Farscape as a child and then you didn't start doing this with your brother or sister, <laughs> then I don't know what's wrong with you. Did you do this with your brother? I totally, we would always do it. My side, your side, my side, your side. All right. Hey, Don't yeah, put that thing in here. I don't want a roommate. Get it out. That's my match! Get off my match! Go on! Go!
1: Fine. I don't want any trouble.
0: This is my side. That's your side. This is my side. You stay on your side. My side, your side.
1: My side, your side. My side, your side. Just in my chair too, aren't you? You're talking about Scorpius's chair. Oh,
0: Scorpio. Scorpio. puts me in the chair. Over and over and over. And over. The chair did
1: this to you. So that's Stark. John's cellmate, and yeah, the my side, your side is completely classic. That is like Stark's catchline for for especially this episode and later on too. But yeah, he is the insane roommate because he has been in the chair so many times, and this is what John, looking at him, and you can see it on his face. This is what he has to look forward to: is being driven mad and losing his mind to the Aurora chair. And it's both heartbreaking and hilarious at the same time.
0: Yeah, because Stark is at once a comic relief. My side, your side, my side, your side, my chair. You know, he's at once a comic relief, but also this is the future that John has to look forward to. Yeah.
1: I want to point out right here Stark is the one who first calls Scorpius Scorpy. So he's the originator of that nickname. And he is so possessive of the Aurora chair, too. You know, he's like, that was my chair. And that's kind of like, I don't know, that end point of how far cracked up you must be to want to take possession of the instrument of your torture.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, also, it does beg a question, because we don't see any other prisoners here. hmm And the fact that the Aurora Chair almost destroyed John's brain on its first use, right? My question is, in number one, does Scorpius just kill everybody that after he's You know, gotten all the information which is logical that's probably what he would do but also does maybe the aurora chair kill everybody at a certain point?
1: I could see the aurora chair not necessarily killing their vital functions but like making someone go into a vegetated state where their brain has shut down but it's still keeping the body alive Mm -hmm. and so I can see that as a consequence of being in there for too long which you know maybe it does go all the way and kill the body too But yeah, we don't see any other prisoners. It's just Stark. And we find out in the next episode why he's there. But yeah, I don't know. So as far as other prisoners go, Stark seems to be... And we learn about this more in the next episode, so I won't say too much. But Stark seems to be the only other one present who is in there with any regularity. And I could see somebody out in... And a command carrier somewhere, they come across some sort of information about wormholes. There's a directive that says, okay, send them to these coordinates. And then the prisoner gets sent to these coordinates and gets given to Scorpius and Scorpius torches them for everything they know. And once he is satisfied that they have given everything up, he's not going to let him go because he's on a secret base. He's going to kill them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is the side effect of, of again, being like black ops, CIA, NSA, etc. Yeah. So... Once John is captured, Chiana shows back up and Jelena is like, wait, I thought you were gone. And they figure out that John has been captured. And Jelena doesn't know where he's being held yet, but she pretty quickly figures it out. And she's able to communicate with the cell. It's a really good moment because she's kind of communicating with him and she's like, okay, we're going to get you out. And he's like, no, don't bother getting me out. Get the nerve to Aaron.
1: Yeah, he is completely focused on getting the nerve graft to Aaron. Like that is his, what he is holding on to to keep him going at this point.
0: Yeah. But it ends up kind of having this side effect of whereas before Jelena hadn't really picked up on the fact because he was leaving, because I think maybe to her, that was the romance of their relationship was that they were always leaving each other. Mm-hmm. The The romance of it, of kind of Romeo and Juliet, where they could never be together. Yeah. And... And so now she's kind of faced with the realization that he cares so much about Aaron. And this is where Chiana really shines for me. I mean, she shines a lot in this episode. Chiana is great. But Chiana pretty quickly figures out that I don't think Jelena would have necessarily stopped helping them, but Jelena is not going to be as useful to her, to Chiana, if she does not buy into the Jelena and John Forever romance.
1: So here's the clip. I don't understand it. Why wouldn't Crichton try and save himself? Jenna. does Aaron mean that much to him? No. Aaron's just a just a shipmate. Crichton is in love with you. Why do you think he's staying? Look, once Aaron's okay, we'll we'll come back with reinforcements. Get the both of you.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Maybe he wants me to go with him. Let's get you out of here. So Chiana's the one picking up that Jelena is completely still head over heels. She needs to know that she is important to John as part of who she is now. I mean, as part of what keeps Jelena going is knowing that John is out there, that they could have this romance. And that's what Chiana is playing off of here to try and motivate Jelena to continue helping. Because I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't know necessarily that Chiana knows that Jelena would still help them. Because mm-hmm. she doesn't know Jelena. She wasn't there for the last time around. I mean, she doesn't even know the depth of Aaron and John's relationship. I mean, I'm sure she's picked up on some of that. She knows they are very good friends, if nothing else. And obviously he's here trying to save her. But that don't, doesn't even matter in the, because she is playing the person who needs to get someone motivated, the con man, the motivator, the pep talk, as it were, to mm-hmm. uh, to get Jelena to focus on the task at hand.
0: Yeah. And it is super manipulative and also kind of mean to a certain extent because here's somebody asking you the flat question of, are John and Aaron into each other? And probably because I think she is the most emotionally connected of all the crew. And I'm including Mm -hmm. Zan in that. Like, I think Gianna is the one character that has had to rely so much on manipulating others' emotions. So also reading other people's
1: emotions to know what, what they're thinking in advance so that she can anticipate
0: that. Yeah, exactly. So Gianna is the one that knows without a doubt, that Aaron and John are very, very into each other. Here she is, and she looks at this situation, and she's like, okay, I need to get off, we need to rescue John, we need to save Aaron, and this is what I got to do.
1: Yeah, so that's what they do. They retrieve the nerve graph from where John had hidden it. And what I love about Chiana, she's dressed up as a peacekeeper now. She's dressed as a tech in the jump green jumpsuit. She's got a wig on, or her hot hair has been dyed or something to make her hair black. So she doesn't stand out. But I what I love about her moving through the base is she still moves like Chiana when she's mm-hmm. not being looked at. Like she's she's faking it pretty well when she's amongst the other Sebastians, when she's in the hallways. But as soon as she ducks around a corner and she's in an open space, she is moving at a canted angle and you can see the sinewy way that, that Chiana moves, even in this disguise that she's wearing. And I really like that
0: that character note that she has. Mm-hmm. So Jelena creates a fake radiation leak so that Chiana can get off the base. And this is another great like note in the episode because <laughs> Chiana once told John that she's never killed anybody and she still stands by that, that she has never killed anybody. She flat out murders somebody in this episode. <laughs> she
1: burns him alive with like a torch that she makes out of like a, a fuel line and the and a- spark essentially
0: yeah because the commander when when they find out about the fu- the fake radiation leak he's like everybody off and i'm getting off first and Shiana's like, Chiana's like, oh, let me just get this prowler started and then I'll, you know, then you can use it. And he like turns around and he's like, that's not gonna work, Shiana. And then she flat out roasts him. Yeah. You know, it's great.
1: Yeah, and when she's saying that, we also have our first instance of Frunium making it into the script. Ricky Manning is the writer of the episode, and he's he's the one who invented Frunium as kind of techno babble for Farscape. And that is just a, a fan meme that kind of pops up over and over again. So if you're wondering what episode it came from, it's this one. <laughs>
0: So the episode ends in this like really stressful, dark place of um, Aaron saved, but John captured and tortured, Jelena moments from being tortured, and Moya in the middle of giving birth. And it ends
1: on a scream, and then it says, to be continued. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be to be continued with next week's episode, where we talk about the hidden memory, which is part two. Yes.
0: All right. So what would you give this episode?
1: Oh, easily a five. It's so good. Oh, this episode is excellent. <laughs> the tension, the fake outs, the sheer number of people that pop up and every moment is is means something. Like there's not a wasted bit of episode in
0: this. Yeah. And it introduces, you know, a super scary villain really efficiently. Like, I think any other show would have taken a few episodes to introduce Scorpius to have the same kind of emotional impact of, this is somebody scary, this is somebody you should be afraid of. Easily a five.
1: As we said earlier, this sets up, what, three more seasons of <laughs> Of plot. I mean, this is where the overarching plot of the show
0: starts. Three more seasons and a, like, and a mini-series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing I want to point out with is in Wardrobe Watch, John is wearing Larox or one of the other Ghost Commandos uniform, which is kind of gross, if you think about it.
1: What, wearing a dead man's uniform?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, could be, but he looks really good in it. I was just, just saying. Okay, but here's my other thing. <laughs> the other two Ghost Commandos... They were kind of chunky. He's definitely wearing the rocks. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely wearing the rocks, which I'm like, so did the rock come with like multiple uniforms? The rock must have had multiple uniforms.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, they all got blown up on the ship, probably.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying is like maybe he unpacked them because they were going to be on Moya. I have no idea. He's wearing the Rock's uniform, and which it is fits dark. Him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. We don't know where the uniform came from to fit that well, but there it is. It's pretty, it's we're pretty sure it's the rock's though.
1: Yeah. And at the beginning of the episode, when he's still in a t shirt and cargo pants, he's wearing that gray shirt that appears in um Darker Returns, which I, I think we decided was a PK wardrobe choice yeah. from the stores on Moya.
0: And and also Jelena is finally wearing a real PK Tech uniform. And you mm-hmm. see that PK Techs don't wear your typical peacekeeper red and black. Yeah, they're in dark green, olive green. I think maybe peacekeepers don't even think about techs as like real peacekeepers.
1: Well, they're part of the troop, But you know, we've seen already how Aaron uh, in this early episodes despaired of tech work. And it's just like, they're a caste level below. Mm
0: -hmm. Which is interesting, because Scorpius is super clearly tech oriented. Yeah, he's he's science.
1: And we do see other scientists later on, so maybe there's a science class in there, too, that we haven't met with that Scorpius
0: is part is
1: part of. Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe it's kind of like in Star Trek, where you have Command, which was red, right?
1: Well, red for... No. It depends on which generation you're talking about. It was red in later... In Next Gen and Voyager and mm-hmm. DS9, but it's yellow in the original. Okay.
0: So maybe it's kind of like Star Trek where different colors signify different things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This is always the funny thing I found out about, I find about Star Trek where I'm like, so you have all these people. I'm the best scientist in the world. I'm like super into stars. I do, you know, like all these amazing people. Right. And then I'm like, who is cleaning your quarters? (laughs) Who's the person that works in the mess hall? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that the, who's the person that works in the mess hall? Is the equivalent of like the tech. Yeah. You know, it's it's like Data or Geordi or something (laughs)
1: Not sure I would compare him to Dana or Jordy, but.
0: Okay. <laughs> I mean, valid. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, we're going to end it there. Um, join us next week if you want to see part two, which is called The Hidden Memory. Oh, so good. So good. All right.
1: And we are everywhere Farscape Friday podcast on Tumblr, on DreamWidth, on our Gmail address if you want to send us feedback that way. And we have a Simplecast
0: website as well. And we're on iTunes. Oh, yeah. And we're on iTunes. So rate us (laughs) if you like us. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. See you next week.